Hey, my friend, welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My name is Lori Seitz. I'm an entrepreneur, mentor, founder of Zen Rabbit, and your guide in moving from fine to fantastic. I love inspiring others to listen to their inner voice and encouraging them to take the steps toward fulfilling their soul. Join me here as we navigate through life transformation, moving from that place where you say everything's fine, it's just fine, but you're really feeling a deep undercurrent of suck. How do you move from there to a renewed sense of yourself? You're in the right place for stories and experiences of self-discovery and courage to help you on your journey. And you'll find each episode has an accompanying meditation. Now let's get into it. Today, we're hearing Angela Lockridge's story. Yeah, it's pronounced Lockridge, and I got it wrong in the actual conversation. That'll teach me to assume I know how to say what seemed like a pretty straightforward name. Angela was raised to be stronger than life. You're going to face challenges, and you have to be stronger than they are. That belief served her and also made her hard and angry and tired. We talk about how she found her way to role models who gave her a more positive outlook and the idea of being content and accepting while still striving to become better. She shares her experiences in some male-dominated industries and what happened when she continued to push through her time of fine. Yes, this includes another bad boss model. You'll hear where she feels most at home. Then stay through because she's got a public service announcement of sorts that affects a majority of you listening. As an entrepreneur with a background in the airline, computer science, telecommunications, and banking and investment industries, Angela saw the future needs diversity of thought. Based on her belief that the generation of young women coming up after her requires skills and positive direction to thrive in a society that would benefit from their strengths, she founded the nonprofit organization Responsibility. Through that organization, she is developing young women into future leaders and empowering them to understand they have the ability to choose their responses. Angela and her spouse are from and live in the city of Richmond, Virginia. Quick reminder for community and camaraderie, come join us in the Fine is the Four-Letter Word Facebook group. Today's episode is sponsored by Cool Life. That's K-U-E-L-Life.com. Founded by previous podcast guest Jack Perez, Cool Life is a community of and platform for midlife women, full of articles and videos about topics such as letting go of grief, experiencing sex, intimacy, and pleasure, alleviating your fashion crises, maintaining motivation, and so much more. As a member, you get access to workshops, newsletters, and a 10% discount on anything in the online store of products from women-owned businesses. If you own your own business, host a podcast, or have a book, you can add it to the business directory. Between now and the end of the year, join and lock in the founder's rate of only $4.99 a month. Whether you've been listening to Find is a Four-Letter Word for a while now, or you're new here, you know there's no more time for fumbling around in life. Do your future self a favor and tap into the resources that can help you live better right now. Go to coollife.com. That's K-U-E-L-L-I-F-E.com to learn more. 
Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Angela Luffridge. Welcome, Angela. Hi, how you doing, Lori? Thanks so much for having me. It's my pleasure. Let's start off with the first and always first question, which is what were the values and beliefs that you were brought up with that affected you as you grew up into adulthood? Yes, they affected so much too. I didn't realize that until this stage of life, but I was primarily raised by a single mom and her philosophy, which she taught me and which I have embraced has been really be stronger than life because life is going to come at you with so many obstacles, so many challenges that you really just need to be stronger in any way, anything that you can do to be stronger than life do it. Did she teach you specific things to do to make you stronger? No, it was kind of like a DIY because um, for her to make, just to be transparent with her lifestyle. And um, since that time, she has been delivered from this, but it was, uh, she was a, a functioning alcoholic. It was alcohol that made her fortified to stronger than what life was throwing at her. And so she didn't say it with words, but she did say it with example of how to cope, so to speak. I chose a different path on how to be stronger. And I don't know, if, again, I don't know if it was healthy, but until I got around more positive influences, it, it changed for the better. Did you seek out those positive influences or did they just show up for you? I had to seek them out. You know, some people, they get to a point, like myself, I got to a point where I was just like, I'm just tired. I'm just tired of being angry all the time, you know, because you know this, you know, if you get hard and you stay hardened, then that also hardens your heart. And when you become hard on the inside, you automatically come hard on the outside type of Mm -hmm. thing if you don't have positive intervention. So I was just tired of being angry all the time and always having to be the tough person until I was introduced to some positive people, you know, and I was just like, wow, they're different. You know, they still have life happening to them, but they have a positivity with their resiliency. And so I just sought out them with more questions and it wasn't overnight. (laughs) Nothing happens overnight. So I, it was over a course of, I dare say, over 15 years where I, you know, this is after college, this is um, after any uh, educational institutions where I purposely sought to surround myself with people who had a more positive outlook in life than I do, but also overcame obstacles. We all have obstacles, different ones, and they look different. You know, from the outside, somebody else's could look like they were easier than ours, right? But, you know, going back to your point of you know, having it take 15 years, I mean, I really think it's a lifelong journey. Personal development is something that we're always journeying through. Right. Absolutely. I I would say the 15 years was when I finally could let go of the anger, you know, and have the, still have the tough skin, but have a soft heart, you know? I like that. Yeah. So that's, that was learned and that was uh, set as an example for me um, through various people, various positive associations over all those years. And you're right. I'm still developing. I'm still... (laughs) Not where I want to be, you know, and I guess we shouldn't, you know, because I guess we'd be super boring if we were, but um, there's always something to work on. 
Exactly. There's always something. There's the, there's a difference though between being content and being complacent. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So being content and and accepting where we are and still being on this journey to continue to grow. Yes, absolutely. How, how did things change for you when once you let go of the anger? Yes. So I started seeking ways to be a positive influence in other people's lives. And that's actually what led me and, and my husband actually to found a, to found, I guess that's the word. Yeah. Uh, we were founders of a girl empowerment program called Responsibility. And we still are. I serve as the board president and CEO and loving every day of it. And the thing is, is that I realized that if I needed that help, how many other girls, you know, growing up need that as well, you know, prior to becoming adulthood, to their um, adult stage, you know? So in being... Uh, recipient of positive influence and environments, I was like, well, you know what? Now that I have the place and the resources to do so, let me create that environment and positive influence for the generation behind me. I love it. I'm glad you brought that up. I was going to bring up that organization. How long has that been in existence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, responsibility. Well, it's been in existence in my mind for ever, it seems like, <laughs> but. Uh, it manifested with the 501c3 in July of 2019. It's just still in toddler stage. Correct. Correct. But this is crazy. We have grown by 300% since 2019 as far as our outreach, donations, uh, visibility. And we actually had a statistician, a stats person, <laughs> actually mm-hmm. analyze our growth and she's like, oh my gosh, you you guys have grown 300% since you've launched. I was like, wow, I've been working the whole time. I didn't notice. But, and, this <laughs> is, and this is with a pandemic under our belt. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, I guess it's technically pandemic season right now. We're not, you know, fully eradicated from it. But with that global challenge, we still grew. And um, so we have, I guess you can put our organization with dog years, you know, or cat years, you know, (laughs) right? right, when you're equal seven or something. (laughs) Yeah. Well, and it's a testament to the need for it, obviously. I want to explore a little bit more about, you said it lived, it was in your mind for many years. What was it that, like, take us on the journey of how you came up with this idea and what it, what you had to go through to make it real? Mm. Yes. So responsibility is launched out of, of course, the need. You know, I saw that I wasn't the only woman who was dealing with um, the expectations of being tough all the time, you know, but with a lack of resources, you know, and lack of healthy resources. Let's just say that. And I also saw so much inequality going on and um, between um, genders. And again, this is just my personal journey. You know, some women can grow up and be like, I don't see there's any inequalities. Well, from my standpoint, um, you know, in my experience, I did see that firsthand. You know, I saw confident 
um, assertive, not aggressive, assertive women be called the B word, you know, but then I also saw confident, assertive men be called, oh, he's such a leader, you know, it's like, okay, that, and that's, of course, an elementary um, definition of what I saw, but I was like, okay, and then every day seeing something like that, and I was just like, okay, we need to change the image of, first of all, we need more confident women who are comfortable in who they are, so that they do not have to feel like they need to emulate someone, they don't need to uh, they don't have an, a tendency to be catty or backbiting or, or jealous or envious because those bring out other nasty qualities in us, you know. So if you have um, healthy women who are confident in who they are, if they're a girly girl, if they're a tomboy, if they're a you know creative person or they're a scientist, like my background's in um, computer science, you know, then go ahead and just be comfortable in who you are. And then also add on that emotional stability, you know? And so it just years and years and books and books and conferences and conferences of just sitting in and, and, and seeing all that I just mentioned. And I was like, you know what? I could start right where I live, you know? And so the nonprofit, um, was born out of, just experiencing so much and being frustrated that no service like that was available where I lived. And when you were growing up. And when definitely not when I was growing up, I got a taste of it. I guess it was a high school, no, hold on. Yeah, it was a high, uh, I'm sorry, middle school program. And uh, as of now, it no longer exists, but it was called Becoming a Woman Program. And it changed my life. Um, it was just a group of women in the community that came to my middle school. It was like one day after school, once a month. But they talked about things with us that I don't know if my mother was too embarrassed to talk to me about or uh, didn't know herself. But um, it just enlightened me. I was just so grateful for it. And uh, again, I, I don't see that in existence anymore and definitely not in the schools so I was like, you know what, let me bring back what was an inspiration and an upliftment for me at such a formidable years, in those formidable years, I should say. And let me bring that with um, up-to-date, realistic, you know, circumstances. Right. A lot has changed since we were kids. So, oh, yeah. You know, you're right, because kids now are facing so many more influences, mm-hmm. not just from parents and, and school. Mm-hmm. But, I, you know, we can't have this discussion without mentioning social media and how that has <laughs> played such a big part in influencing girls' images of themselves and images and, and how they see the world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, in fact, Responsibility did an engagement in September that focused on positive body image, you know, because oftentimes social media will teach one image of the perfect woman. And we know that's not true, you know? They come in many more sizes than that. Oh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) You know, anyway, but yeah. When you talked about seeing the disparities in your personal experience, is that, do you feel like that's because you worked in, in the industry that you were in? You said you had a degree in computer science, and then I know you also worked in in the banking industry. Do yes. you think that was that was a lot a, a lot of 
reason why you saw that was oh, because yeah. of the industries you were in? Yeah. yeah. First, first row seats, you know, because it was where um, I graduated. My undergrad degree is in computer science and graduate is international business, you know. So ever since I've graduated college, I have been in male-dominated industries, hands down. And I knew that going in. But remember, I had the tough, hard exterior. I could do anything. I can overcome it, which is true, you know. But when you keep seeing that over and over and over again, it doesn't start to affect you. you know? Yeah, it wears you down. Mm-hmm. There's, yeah. You can be tough. You can have the right mindset. And when you keep going up against that every single day, mm-hmm. it takes a toll. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you definitely understand. So that was it, you know. Um, and it was where, um, well, I know you'll eventually get to this, but I thought I was doing fine, actually, because through the cycles of the hard and um, the, the cycles of overcoming obstacles, quote unquote, on my own, you know, I thought I had arrived when I finally got a position in finance that took me out of the face-to-face contact with my clients, which um, was on the investment side, and actually put me on the back end. So I was more um, directing where the money went, you know, when trades occurred. And I thought it was the coolest thing ever, you know. But um, that actually, that quote-unquote dream, you know, on the on the corporate side basically became a nightmare, you know. So, yeah, so what you thought was what 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 you thought you were getting into was turned out to not be mm-hmm. exactly what you thought it was no no yeah so um of course i've had responsibility we we still of course ex- responsibility is you know you know large and in charge in my mind of course and and becoming more and more recognized in our communities and we're so grateful for that so I, of course, had that on my off times, you know, and that was successful, still is, you know, and I was like, well, I could just transfer the success to what I'm doing in the corporate side, too, and, um, you know, have the same positive, um, you know, associations, you know, mm-hmm. when I got Impact, this promotion, yeah. but unfortunately, no. <laughs> So tell us more about that because you had a lot going on in one year and and I don't I want to go through that briefly but I also want to focus on it's not what was happening to you it was kind of more looking at it from what was happening for you and how what resulted from that that one year of experience cuz you had a lot so take yeah. us through some of that <laughs> Yeah, so when I, I when I reached my plateau of fine was when it was the fall of actually 2020, you know, so we were, uh, that was still within the first uh, six or I guess six or eight months of the uh, pandemic, you know, but as far as me personally, you know, things were fine, you know, they were actually, I was getting I got the promotion that I had wanted for years, you know, in finance. So I was able to take my analytical mind and, you know, be able to use it on the back end of investments and retirement and, you know, make sure that all of our clients, um, you know, money went to the right spot and 
And moving from the face-to-face contact with my clients to the back end where I could just dress any way I wanted to, work from home, you know, I was like, uh-huh. oh, this is so great. But my 40-hour, 45-hour work week turned quickly into like 68 to 70-hour work weeks. Mm. And That is unsustainable. Great, you know, because money never sleeps. And so my... Um, territory, quote unquote, went from just a local Virginia area to um, the entire United States, you know, so I had to be available for every time zone that we service. So that was from Maine to Hawaii. And it, I did not realize that obviously when I took the job, you know, um, but I probably still would have went that way. But what ended up happening from October to December of 2020, I did not realize how fast things were um, affecting me negatively, you know. So first I had the stress of the long hours, you know, and weekends, you know, it it wasn't just Monday through Friday, it was actually weekends too. And then um, with that, I wasn't eating properly and I wasn't resting properly. So I was always thinking about work and eating while working and you know, it was just ridiculous, Laurie. I just, I couldn't, now that I look back on it, I was like, I couldn't believe I let myself get so out of balance. And I know that means something different to everyone. But it's pretty common, especially for women, because we have so much that we're trying to accomplish mm-hmm. that things get, we get put last on the list of mm-hmm. who to take care of. Mm-hmm. And so that's very easy to fall into that trap of, not sleeping, not eating well, not taking care of yourself. Mm-hmm. It down, it's a quick downward spiral. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm trying to prove myself as in this new role, you know, mm-hmm. again, male dominated, you know, um, industry because quote unquote, only men have analytical minds where they can, you know, process yeah. numbers like that. Okay. And anyway, that was, those are the lies I was told. But anyway, um, but I had gotten to that point where I was just trying to actually, unfortunately, people please, you know, and occupational please. And at the same time, running the nonprofit and dealing with the pandemic and, you know, uh, dealing with uh, in-laws, you know, everything just becomes um, a big pile, you know, after a while. And then in December, things started to get really unfine for me. It was where... <laughs> unfine. Yes. Okay. <laughs> It was where, I mean, I tell the youth that I teach now, I tell them, you cannot avoid this because life at one point will bring you to your knees. You know, when you think that you have it by the mane, by the tail, it really has you. You know, if you are not aware, if you don't slow down and reflect, uh, if you don't breathe every now and then. So what happened was that all of a sudden I'm working is one of my super long days. You know, you start at 6 or 7 a.m. I didn't get finished until like 7 or 8 p.m. You know, but it was in the middle of one of those days, my right eye just started hurting. You know, I was like, oh, God, the eyelash went the wrong way, you know, and it was just it was just a constant annoyance. And then it got to a constant pain. And then it got to a point where um, the whole side of my right of my head was throbbing and then the eyes started to turn really red and then it got to a point where I was sensitive to light in the right eye 
that I couldn't even open it well. And so I'm looking at, I had three computer screens I had to work with to for the job. And I had to put on sunglasses. In fact, I remember my husband walking up behind me because he worked from home at that time too. And he was like, what are you doing? Wearing sunglasses in the house. I was like, my future is so bright. I need to wear shades. <laughs> um, well, that's funny because just like my, my vision, it was dimming at that point, you know, which is unfortunate, but I was wearing sunglasses in the house and it, this happened over a course of five days, this progression of this eye, um, piercing. I mean, I can't even say like irritation. It was literally hurting. And I would have to take NyQuil to go to sleep. And on the fifth day, my husband was like, look, if you do not go to a doctor today, then you're not going to have a place to sleep tonight. Okay. Because I can't watch you be in pain and work like that and, you know, put yourself through this torture. So um, I had to let my remote boss know, look, I need to go to the doctor my eye and same thing I just explained to you. I was telling her and she was like, Oh, sorry to hear that. Well, how's your other eye doing? <laughs> oh my gosh. And I was like, like well, really? You know, it's, it's, it's okay. The other eye is doing all right, but the pain is so great. You know, I'm just gonna have to go. She was like, okay. All right. Well, when are you coming back? I just have such and, a hard time with this. It's so right. crazy. Okay. Uh, yeah. Go on. <laughs> You know, this was, if I, if I didn't experience it myself, I wouldn't believe it. But um, I said, look, I'll have to come back when I get to the, you know, get from the eye doctor. You know, we'll see how this goes. But anyway, it ended up being that I had an eye injury that was so rare that less than 200,000 people in the United States of America actually got it. And so I got referred immediately to an eye surgeon for this. And it was just back to back visits. I had to go at least once a week. They had to do special drops and Oh, it was awful, painful, awful. And this was through the Christmas season. This was through all the uh, new New Year's gatherings. And slowly but surely, I mean, it was just basically, not basically, it was quite pronounced, but it was eye inflammation that I had to get under control before they could find out the cause. And so in the process of that, through medication and the holidays and all that, in January, I got the phone call that my father had just passed away suddenly. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And it was where pre-COVID we had put him in a nursing home because he had developed dementia and Alzheimer. And it was where as a family, we could not take care of him, you know, mm. we're like in our home and, you know, work and all that. Right, right. So pre-COVID, we put him in this facility, but unfortunately that's where he ended up passing away. Mm. And it was so fast and sudden that, you know, it was clearly a shock, you know? Right. And yeah. the crazy thing about it too, he passed away on his birthday, which was January the 11th. So I got that phone call while working with one eye um, dealing with the pain, letting that subside or trying to get it under control. And then, um, crazy things were going on with our country, you know, as you know, um, yeah, right. <laughs> that was not too long after the insurrection. Yeah. And, everybody knows about that. Uh -huh. Right. You know, it'll go down in history. And, um, so, um, our neighborhood is very divided on views like that. And so, my husband and I were very concerned about our comings and goings, which is unfortunate that even our personal space felt violated. 
And then um, a few weeks after that, I mean, well, the whole process, I had to bury my father remotely, you know, because of COVID. COVID, it was a height of COVID and I, he was in a different state. And that was another awful thing. And then in addition to that, at the end of January, beginning of February, I believe, my um, manager just let me know, hey, you know, all the work you're doing is great. And, you know, um, end of year, we know it was tough because we were trying to get assets moved for um, our clients, uh, tax obligations, all that they wanted to count for 2020. So thanks for working, you know, those 14 hour shifts. We really appreciate it. Uh, This is the thing, though, all the work that you did, we were using it as training to train this new uh, facility that we have opening up in the Philippines. So thank you so much for all your hard work because now we have this training module for this new staff in the Philippines. And I was like, oh, okay, we're doing something good. And uh, and then she said, yeah, because by the time March rolls around, your job position will be eliminated. Wow. Thanks for busting your butt all this time. Correct. And bye-bye. And thanks for the training material, by the way. Right. Again, I'm dealing with the one eye. Just buried my father remotely. I didn't even see him. Just technically got laid off over the internet. <laughs> yeah, remote. Thanks. Um. Okay. And in March, in like one month's time, I won't have an income that I can count on, you know, Um because I didn't know how the severance package would go. It was just too early right. to get those yeah. details. Yeah. So yeah, everything got unfine. Did you, backing up for a second, did you mm-hmm. find out what caused your eye issue? Yes. It wasn't until the summer of 2021, though, that I found out that, um, this is just a side note, uh, 90% of African Americans have a vitamin D deficiency. And it shows up differently in like different ways, you know, for different African-Americans if they don't have enough vitamin D. Okay. You know, this could be a public service announcement because I I don't, I didn't know that it was that high for African-Americans, but I know that for Americans in general, Mm -hmm. it's very high as well Mm -hmm. because we don't spend a whole lot of time outside in the sun. Correct. Correct. And so that's how it showed up for you. Correct. As a, was the vitamin. Wow. Yeah. Because for um, the, you know, first of all, I wasn't eating properly during this, those stressful times, you know. Oh, yes. And so I wasn't right. eating. I was probably deficient in other vitamins, but that was the one specifically that caused the inflammation in the eye. Wow. And um, it t- obviously it took months and months of research to even find that. And, um, and thank goodness, you know, summer came around and I was able to spend some time outside and actually get that vitamin D, but also had to supplement as well. And so the real test will be this winter when the sun and the outside availability won't be there. And we'll, we'll, you know, we'll continue to stay positive, of course, but at least I don't have all those other things going on. Do you need like, like those lights that give, you know, they've have, um, for people who have seasonal, seasonal something. It's called SAD, seasonal something disorder. It's not coming to me, but there's a special light that gives them sunlight. Ooh, well, now you're teaching me something. I don't know. <laughs> like I said, this is all new to me. So it's okay. Like, all right. Well, and I know it. I like, I personally take a vitamin D supplement because yeah. I had tested very low mm-hmm. years ago. And so I've just always, uh, for the past several years, taken a D supplement. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, yeah. Well, I have to uh, quadruple up my vitamin D because um, it's the melanin in African-American skin that blocks most vitamin D that's absorbed by the sun. So, um, you know, that's a blessing and a curse, I guess. (laughs) But it's sure. It's where uh, it really showed up bad for me with that deficiency. Mm, so, okay. Yeah. That was the winter of 2021 for me. Yeah, 2020. Yeah, just so 2020 to yeah. 21, yeah. Yeah, right, mm-hmm. right, right. So, yeah, less than a year ago. Wow. Okay, so your job ended and you were looking for new opportunities because I'm really excited to share with, with my listeners how sometimes doors are closing, doors mm-hmm. are always closing, mm-hmm. and other doors are opening. So you didn't know when that first door closed where you were going to end up, but you are doing such wonderful work now, mm-hmm. different, completely it. different direction. Yep. So I appreciate that, Lori. Yeah. So the victory is where when everything was stripped away from me, it seemed like my health you know, when you have a parent pass away, of course, that changed your perspective on everything. Um, let's see. And then my uh, financial security was gone, you know, and I even told my husband, I was like, look, I, I understand we could probably make it on one income, but let's be honest, we, <laughs> we don't want to do that. Right. So it was where I was in a different spot. I'd never been before, you know, so it made me vulnerable, you know, so that hardened shell where everything depended on me, that was that was broken away. It was no longer I could depend on myself. So I started reaching out. And of course, responsibility was doing well. And and that's great. I have a wonderful board, you know. Um, my board vice president and board secretary have been phenomenal and they still are phenomenal with keeping that part going. But professionally on the uh, profit side, I guess you would say, because um, I didn't want to com- continue to rely on donations and um, grants and all that for my income. That will be later, later, later. But for right now, I wanted to still use my technical analytical skills in another way. And it was a girlfriend of mine that we actually had a prior business together. It was a for-profit business. And since then, she had left, which was fine. We left on great terms. And she was like, you know, Ange, I want to go into education. You know, her background's in accounting. So we're both finance numbers people. And she was like, you know, education just isn't calling me, you know. So I reconnected with her and I said, you know what? You were telling me a few years ago how much you loved education and you said it was a great career switch. Can you tell me more about that? She was like, absolutely. Let me walk you through the process. Let me tell you this. Let me tell you that. They need career switchers in schools because they want people with real life experience. She just talked to me for like a whole afternoon, it seemed like. So I went through the process of doing the application, doing the testing, finding a school system that actually took career switchers and did several interviews. And by May, the end of April, beginning of May of 2021, I was extended an offer by a local high school to teach, get this, computer science <laughs> okay, and economics and personal finance. So I have wow. six classes that I teach on the high school level. Four of them are computer science based and two of them are economics and personal finance. 
because they said that you are a perfect fit. I've never heard that word for a job. But anyway, they said you are a perfect fit for what our students need with real life experience. We can get your teacher's license later. We'll put you on a provisional license and you can go ahead and apply for your permanent license if you want to continue teaching because we'd love to have you at least for the 2021-2022 school year. That is so interesting and so heartwarming that you were able to take all of your professional experience and now pour it into education system. Do you love it? Uh, I'm scared to use that word yet because I thought... Are you enjoying it? I am enjoying it. It is a challenge that I enjoy, definitely. And the kids, they are, for the most part, like 80% of them are these sponges. They're just like, oh, tell more stories about work, you know? <laughs> you know? And, and the, another cool thing too, Lori, I never thought about this, but they said, you know, thanks for telling us your background because I had them get to know me at the beginning of the school year. And they were like, we know that the work you give us makes sense. It's not just busy work. We know the work you're giving us and the things you have us think through are related to the real world. And not saying anything negative about teachers who've been teachers ever since they graduated college, but the real life experience is really what the students are hungry for. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Right. Now it's more relatable, so it makes them more interested in learning. Yeah. So that has made it the love part, yes, I will. I dare say love, you know. Okay. And, um, and yeah, it's it's really been a turn of my life. I never thought I would enjoy. And my eye healed in June of this year, just before summer school started, which was oh, wonderful. Good. Yeah. Um, and you know, I know now that I've endured so much, and um, I know that now it's where my vulnerability has brought me to a place of at least peace, you know, knowing that if something else super hard comes along, that not only do I have the resources, but I also have the experience to to endure and look for the, the next positive chapter. That word vulnerability uh-huh. has come up a lot for me in recent conversations. Uh-huh. And it's just, it's, it's, A lot of people have a difficult time wrapping their head around allowing themselves to be vulnerable. Mm -hmm. And yet, as you're talking right now, that's the only place where people can really come in and help you is when you allow allow yourself that vulnerability, Mm -hmm. then they can come in. Yeah. Yeah. And it's interesting. Um, And I don't want to go over your time, but it was where... What I found was that to be vulnerable, you don't tell everybody your life story, you know, like the such as, you know, Yes. but it does need to be a place where when you approach someone, you never know how they can impact your life, you know, that you come with a, a, a positive humility, you know, you come with, you come to circumstances knowing that, you know what, the circumstance I'm in right now is not permanent, you know, good or bad. Yes. You know? Oh, that's so but, good. Yeah, you know, and um, I don't know if it's okay to mention her on your podcast, but Brene Brown actually Mm -hmm. had me realize that Mm -hmm. it was uh, all my times of commuting back pre-COVID. You know, I'd listen to, I think it was one of her books, uh, Dare to Lead. I listened to that audio book. She talked about vulnerability and I was like, that's so weak. 
You know, <laughs> lady. You know, right. especially not being a woman, we can't yeah. show our vulnerability at all. We can't cry at work. We can't, you know, do all this other stuff and be taken seriously. But she wasn't talking about that. She was talking about letting, you know, asking questions, being humble enough to say, gosh, I don't know the answer to that. I have some growing to do. Hey, would you be able to help me? Yes. You know, I don't have all the answers, but I'm growing. Is that all right? Thank you. You know, please and thank you. And um, just remembering your manners as you continue to grow and personally develop. That Thanks for bringing up Brene Brown because she is synonymous with vulnerability. Before we wrap up, tell us what the song is that you listened to when you were going through all those tough times. What was it that energized you? Or even maybe you still listen to it now. We all need we all go through points where like, I need to be charged up and hyped up. And what's your, what's your song? Absolutely. I would say it was, it is uh, Storms in Africa by Inya. And it just reminds me of a place where I was when I went to West Africa and um, I'm, I'm not West African, you know, but my DNA has actually been traced back to West Africa, which I thought was super cool. Uh, technically, my DNA has been in the United States since 1824. That's the records we were able to find. Wow. You know, and we took advantage of the, the DNA research and found out that West Africa was, which makes total sense with the whole, you know, middle passage slave trade thing. And it's where... When I went there myself, it was a peace. As soon as I stepped on the ground, it was a, a sweetness to the air. It was a peace about the land. I was in Ghana, West Africa. And um, if you look at the whole continent of Africa, you know, there's always something going on. But at that time, Ghana was um, peaceful, prosperous, you know, super, super inviting and open and the people were beautiful and genuine. And I just felt like, wow, this is this is amazing. And the music I heard, the food that I ate felt comfortable. And oddly enough, you know, if you were to see me, you know, if anybody's like, uh, you know, ever sees me in the street, they would think, oh, wow, yeah, I could see how you would, you probably would look like somebody from Ghana, you know, and the people there in Ghana didn't know I was from the United States of America. So, Whenever they'd be like, oh, where are you from? You know, and I would say, oh, I'm from Virginia and the United States of America. You know, every person, it was at least 15 to 20 people that I met for the first time there outside the group I went with. They would just pause after I say where I'm from and they would say, welcome home. Wow. And so that song reminded me of that amazing time I had. And, you know, when you have that sense of identity, you also gain that strength and confidence knowing that, you know, I have come from this beautiful, strong, amazing people that produce these beautiful, sweet atmospheres and foods and, and cultures and smell. It was just amazing. Anyway, that's what, that, was, that was a long answer to your question. <laughs> that is such a beautiful story. I love that. We're going to do an episode at some point about your, about finding your energetic home. And that sounds like that is where it is for you. Yes, Absolutely. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing your story today. Unfine is a four-letter word, Angela. All right. Thank you, Lori. Here are the key takeaways from my chat with Angela. Number one, 
Angela mentioned purposely seeking out and surrounding herself with people who had a more positive outlook and resiliency than she did so she could learn from them and overcome being angry all the time. And that it took her 15 years to let go of the anger and allow herself to have a soft heart while maintaining a tough skin. Two points here. One, you can choose to surround yourself with good role models. If they're not immediately available, go find them. And two, change and personal growth are not things that happen overnight. They are a lifelong pursuit. Number two, be comfortable in who you are. The world needs more confident women who are comfortable, who don't feel like they need to be someone they're not in order to succeed. Number three, you can be tough. You can have the right mindset. And when you keep going up against discrimination or toxicity every single day, it's still going to take a toll on you. You can do what you can to make a difference and change the environment, and it's worthwhile to do that. At the same time, if you're simply beating your head against the wall there and you find yourself getting completely out of balance, for your own sanity, you need to move on to something else, to a healthier, more fulfilling environment. Number four, when you ignore the signs, your body is going to make it super clear to you that you need to make a change. You can only get away with abusing and neglecting yourself for so long before it catches up with you. Number five, vulnerability comes up again and again. Angela said the victory came when everything was stripped away from her. Her health, a parent passing away, her financial security, and remarkably, that vulnerability brought her to a place of peace. She's learned that if something else super hard comes along, she not only has the resources, but also the experience to endure and look for the next positive chapter. At this stage of life, you have that too, but only when you allow yourself to be vulnerable and ask for help. If you're interested in learning more about Responsibility, the organization for empowering girls, you can find it at www.response, spelled R-O-S-P-O-N-S-E, ability, A-B-I-L-I-T-Y, R-V-A.org. You can also reach out to Angela through there. Look for a link in the show notes. The last thing Angela wanted to leave you with is the quote, greater is she who is in me than those negative forces in the world. Thanks for being here and subscribing to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Please share this show with a friend. If you're feeling especially generous, leave a review so other women like you can discover the show too. It's on Apple, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and all the major podcast directories. And I'd love to hear what's happening in your world. Join me on social. On Instagram, it's zen underscore rabbit. You can find links to the other platforms at zenrabbit.com. Before you go, remember to take a moment to think about what you're grateful for today. And lastly, you can find this week's meditation queued up right after this episode. Or maybe it's just before, depending on where you're listening. Look for it. You'll find it because you always find exactly what you're looking for. Remember that. <laughs>